0: Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest guidance, analysis, and voices from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Spodekindle, VP of Product Development with ACFCS, and this podcast is part of a series examining modern slavery from many angles in collaboration with Thomson and Reuters. While slavery was abolished in the United States more than 150 years ago, By some estimates, there are more people enslaved today than at any time in human history, representing an urgent challenge for law enforcement, the financial sector, and society as a whole. Sex trafficking and exploitation is a huge part of that problem. But organizations like the Polaris Project, a leading non-profit agency in the fight against modern slavery, are rising to the challenge. The host of today's CrimeCast is Gina Gerva, an attorney and manager of thought leadership for Enterprise Content at the Thomson Reuters Legal Executive Institute, and we're very glad to welcome her back. In conversation with Karen DeMar, the National Hotline's director for Polaris, she'll be guiding us to dispel some myths on sex trafficking, explore common typologies, and provide resources and tactics to combat this insidious crime. Gina, it's a pleasure having you with us again.
1: Thank you so much, Brian, and thank you to everyone at ACSCS and for all of our listeners here today. Um, This is, of course, a very important conversation we're having. Um, It is part two of our series that we at Thomson Reuters have devoted to the eradication of human slavery. If you joined us on part one of the series, um, we talked with or I talked with Charlotte Davis, who's the manager of anti-slavery programs at the Thomson Reuters Foundation. And I talked to Charlotte about how financial institutions can better position themselves to recognize the indicators of human slavery. Um, we talked about it really from this more global standpoint, so we got a global overview in that webinar. There's also part three. And in that conversation, that podcast, I spoke with Brad Jeffrey, the founder and CEO of a company called causegear uh, which is a fashion accessory company. And they, they basically offer items manufactured by persons free from human slavery. They actually go into the supply chain. They know their supply chain. And then they know that the goods that they are selling are not being produced by uh, people that are labor trafficked. And that podcast really did focus on the fashion institution and also in India specifically. So for your convenience, we have the links to both Parts 1 and Part 3 here. And I encourage you to listen to them. So today we're featuring a conversation about how to recognize the signs of modern era sex trafficking and really separate myth from fact. We're going to look at the different typologies, the different types of sex trafficking that plays out in the United States. Uh, we will look at things like the, the illicit massage business and discuss how the nonprofit organization Polaris we have with us today they work with law enforcement and with corporations and financial institutions to help recognize the signs of human trafficking and sex trafficking and help eradicate it so i am pleased to um, present to you caroline damar who is the national hotline's director for polaris she is responsible for providing strategic oversight for the hotline which provides service to victims and survivors of human trafficking and the anti-trafficking field through the National Human Trafficking Hotline and the Be Free text line. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But first, Caroline, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I am thrilled to be joining you. Well, great. Well, let's. We'll just dive right into it. Uh, Brian mentioned this um, when he introed uh, the the podcast. But you know, in the United States, we we hear the term slavery. And some you know we may conjure up to mind images of what we think slavery is and what we think it was um, as we know officially slavery or involuntary servitude specifically of african-americans um, was abolished over 150 years ago with the ratification of the 13th amendment to the Constitution and that was in the year 1865 uh, we fought a civil war over it yet there are more people enslaved today globally than at any time in history, and we've heard this statistic that over 40 million people are in some form of human human slavery now in the year 2019 and are being trafficked as a result. So can you give us a brief overview of the sex trafficking problem in the United States Based on, on your work and really examples of how we see that manifesting itself and what type of businesses and organizations do we see sex trafficking happening. I think some people, you know, when you think of uh, a human trafficking or sex trafficking, we're thinking of, you know, um, online ads or, you know, brothels or something like that. So let's have you talk us through that if you can. Sure thing. Uh, Yeah, the statistics are staggering. It is hard to believe that slavery does still exist today in the 21st century. Um, It's horrifying and it's sad. Um, But again, I appreciate being able to join this podcast and help educate um, the listeners on what modern day slavery looks like today, especially sex trafficking. Human trafficking is a business of stealing someone's freedom for someone else's profit, particularly a trafficker's profit. Um, In some cases, traffickers trick, defraud, or physically force victims into providing commercial sex. In others, uh, victims are lied to, they're assaulted, maybe threatened or manipulated into working under inhumane, illegal, or otherwise unacceptable conditions. As you mentioned before, about 40 million people are um, enduring some form of human slavery today. It's also been estimated um, to be an incredibly profitable uh, crime for traffickers. And so it is critical that we use um, and combine our forces to switch the the narrative of it being a very low-risk, high-profit crime to one that is a high-risk, low-profit crime for those traffickers. More formally, uh, just to put it out there in terms of how US law defines human trafficking, it is the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person into commercial sex or labor or services against hers or her will. The one exception, which is um, really important to note, is that if minors are involved in commercial sex, there is no need for force, fraud, or coercion. As you mentioned earlier, uh, there are very many myths, misconceptions, facts, um, facts versus myths uh, that are out there about human trafficking. And I think we're going to get into a little bit more about them. But you know, some of them are what you hear is that only women and girls are victims and survivors of trafficking, or maybe it's only happening to illegal or underground, in underground industries. Maybe uh, it it requires the movement of individuals or the transportation of individuals. Those are all, while there may be components of those that are truth, many of those are false um, myths that are out there about human trafficking. So podcasts such as these are just critical in getting the correct information out there. And I think that's so important what you said a moment ago about what the law defines as human trafficking um, and the fact that when we were talking about uh, children, basically, anyone under 18 who's being sex trafficked or trafficked in general, that the coercion piece doesn't have to be there. Is that accurate? Is that a correct summation of what you just said? Correct. Not just coercion, but force, fraud, and coercion. So those are the three components. Um, not, none of those need to be present when a um, minor is being induced into the commercial sex trade. And in terms of where we see, when we talk typologies again, or types of of human trafficking that have been identified, or rather sex trafficking, uh, where do we see that happening? I know I mentioned massage businesses earlier, um, but there's sort of a range of sex trafficking areas where where, where we see this happening. Can you talk to a few of those? Sure thing. Uh, so, we actually in uh, 2017, uh, Polaris published a report identifying the 25, 25 types of modern day slavery. And the purpose of this report was to highlight and break down that human trafficking is not, by looking at it as just sex and labor trafficking, it's going to be really hard for us to completely eradicate or disrupt the different trafficking networks. Trafficking within Uh, sex trafficking or labor trafficking the traffickers the victims the businesses all look very very different and so this report that we released based on uh, uh, data from the National Human Trafficking hotline we were able to put out a report that helps communities anti-trafficking agencies um, task forces be able to tailor their response much more uniquely to the type of trafficking that might be happening in their community We looked at over 32,000 trafficking cases uh, that had come through the national hotline from December 2007 through December of 2016. And within those, again, we classified them into 25 types based on sex trafficking, labor trafficking, or sex and labor trafficking. And some of the most common sex trafficking ones uh, that we identified are escort services, outdoor solicitation, residential sex trafficking um, pornography personal sexual servitude and remote interactive sexual acts now you also did mention illicit massage businesses before in your introduction we classified that under sex and labor trafficking because at times uh, in an illicit massage business there might be the combination of both sex and labor trafficking happening that also happens in strip clubs and cantinas and other illicit activities and that's just, you know, the the amount of data that you have from this report is is staggering. And it, you know, I, I believe you had said it's the, lar- is it the largest data set on human trafficking that in the United States has ever been really compiled and then publicly analyzed. Correct. So we've been collecting data since Polaris started operating the hotline in to- December 2007. However, it's it's very important to note that the data collected through the hotline is secondary to the purpose of the hotline. Our first and foremost purpose is to assist victims and survivors and get them connected to the services that they are looking for, whether that's connecting them to a shelter, or transportation, or a case management uh, agency, or connecting them with law enforcement if that's something they want. But we also, secondary to that, we are able to collect quite a bit of data. And from that, over seven, uh, over 12 years now, we have been collecting data about human trafficking in the United States, and it is the largest data set at this time. I will also mention that it's really important to notate that it is not indicative of, pre- of prevalence within the United States. Instead, it's more indicative of awareness about the National Human Trafficking Hotline and then also awareness about trafficking in a particular area. So if you notice on our website, on the National Human Trafficking Hotline's website, you might see a heat map, and it shows you where different cases are evolving across the country. Again, over the years, it's really been fascinating to see the red areas which are the highest concentrations move closer and closer from the coast into the middle of the country. And that is, again, very important to see that the infrastructure around anti-human trafficking is growing, but so is the awareness. And that is critical in being able to ultimately disrupt this terrible crime. And that's a good point. I mean, data is power. But also, the 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 individuals you have that are calling the hotline, it, it's showing awareness. It's showing that the hotline information is getting out there and that people are utilizing that hotline. Um, I think that's that's just fascinating, and that treasure trove of data is is going to help uh, inform so many different um, so many different groups. Whether we're talking law enforcement or financial institutions or the work you do in general, um, I'd like to ask you about the victims that are trafficked themselves. Um, you know, can you speak to really what are these recruitment techniques that? criminals that organized criminal act, criminal actors how they prey upon individuals to get them into the world of sex trafficking um, so could you talk a little bit about that sure so first I, I do want to note it's really important to understand that anyone can be trafficked um, I think we have a lot of stereotypes in our head of who is trafficked uh, but it's really important for the audience to know that anyone can be trafficked regardless of their gender age, ethnicity, race, socioeconomic status. However, that being said, uh, some people are more vulnerable than others um, based on their race, their socioeconomic status, those individuals that might be more isolated than others. And that's what traffickers look towards. They look for someone who has a vulnerability that they can exploit. Uh, And some of those vulnerabilities might be um housing insecure or homeless individuals who have disabilities individuals who are experiencing poverty runaway homeless youth um, individuals who are immigrants identify as lgbtqi those are all vulnerabilities that traffickers will prey on and use those to their advantage in recruiting them into human trafficking especially within the sex trade so, And you know, some of the things that we're seeing the most of are looking at recent migration or relocation to the United States or relocation within the United States, substance abuse, unstable housing, um, as I mentioned, runaway homeless youth, mental health concerns, drug addiction. Those are all uh, some of the ones, again, that we've seen as uh, the greatest type of risk factors that traffickers are preying upon. And, and what you said, that anyone can be trafficked. I mean, I, I certainly I can't stress that enough in, in, in what I've learned about human trafficking. And I know that's such a big point that Polaris tries to get out as well. It's not just one stereotype of an individual, of what we think we, that you know a person might be trafficked um, in our minds, like what we think that person looks like or sounds like. Um, there are so many different ways. And I think what you said here about the recent migrant uh, recent migrants, people with substance abuse, unstable housing. It it's like the, the traffickers they just look for that vulnerability in a person and then and then use them for for their own purposes, for their own commercial sex purposes. Would you would you say when we talk about traffickers themselves, kind of switching gears a second, is there a certain type of group or individuals that are that are conducting these these, these sex trafficking atrocities basically these crimes like is it organized crime like what, what do you see again just like a vic- anybody can be a victim anyone can see a traffic can be a trafficker we've seen high-profile traffickers in the news recently um, so again that shows that the stereotype that we have of a trafficker or quote-unquote pimp is not necessarily what we've all Grown up to understand as a trafficker what you've seen in the movies is very sensationalized um, It can be any individual who just like within the drug trade or on the other violent crime they Are looking to make a large reward with little little risk as I mentioned in the beginning and within trafficking uh, They are able to find individuals and make a lot of money in a short amount of time and the risk right now until we can change that within the legal system and with other uh, uh, repercussions they are going to have that minimal risk and be able to continue to make millions and millions and millions of dollars yeah and off of uh, human lives um and when you said about high profile cases it immediately made me think of jeffrey epstein i mean we've been we've seen a number we've seen our kelly in the news we've seen Uh, quite a few lately Um, but Jeffrey Epstein immediately came to mind Um, would you say you know we talked about this a little bit um, but about dispelling the myth of what type of persons are more susceptible to sex trafficking when it comes to gender or race or anything like that is there a trend Um, overall anyone can be trafficked but do you see any trends in the hotline um, in the reporting on the hotline that um, that you've noticed Sure. So if you look at our data, you'll see we have more adults that we have identified, more females that we've identified, um, and Latino and Asian uh, race ethnicities are kind of at the top in our demographics. However, again, I want to stress that this is just about, um, that. again, it's not indicative of prevalence, but more about the awareness of who's reaching out for help. Uh, We understand that minors you know, may not reach out for help as much. However, last year in 2018, we were able to add text and chat to the weper- repertoire of how people can reach out for help. And so we expect over time as, the mi- as minors and youth understand that there is a more approachable mechanism for them to reach out for help, we expect those numbers to increase. But again, it's the comfort level of people reaching out. So maybe it's adults are more comfortable than, asking, than minors for asking for help. And females and males, maybe there's a stigma that males don't necessarily feel comfortable reaching out uh, for help. Until we make it acceptable and make it aware that there is a resource to individuals, no matter who you are, no matter how you are being trafficked, uh, that there is a resource for you to reach out and get assistance, Um, until we have done that, we're going to continue to see unequal Uh, stats coming through the hotline but again it's not indicative of prevalence it's more about awareness and use of the hotline Um, but there is this myth uh, that trafficking only happens to women and girls Um, and instead one study estimates that as many half of that as many as half of the sex trafficking victims and survivors are male You'll also see, you know, even I know your last podcast was about labor trafficking. Our numbers are staggeringly higher for sex trafficking versus labor trafficking. But it's often thought that there are many more victims and potential vi- potential victims of labor trafficking, that there are sex trafficking, but people just aren't comfortable reaching out for assistance yet for fear of any type of retaliation or repercussions of what might happen to them if they do reach out. And do they reach out to law enforcement? Do they reach out to the national human trafficking hotline? Where do they go to get this help? and so making sure that more and more people are aware of the national human trafficking hotline is critical in this fight and also, you know, I like what you were saying about how you've added text and text and chat um, to the different ways that uh, human trafficking victims can get in touch with you because you know sometimes you have to i guess innovate might be the right might be the right word or not mm-hmm. but you have right. to go to where they are where the victims are and and you know in certain people certain generations would be much more comfortable with texting than they would be a making a phone call um, so i think that that is a really important piece of it as well is is the uh, the text uh, the text function of the hotline is that are you are you getting high numbers on that Do you, are you seeing more and more people use it yes it is incredible the uh, trajectory we have seen within texting so as i mentioned in 2018 we added text and chat 24 7 in both spanish and english and Great. the trajectory for text has just been incredible we also we had been operating it's important to note that we had been operating uh, a text line the be free text line since 2015 But it was only one shift a day and so until 2018 we were not able to have it 24 7 due to funding but now that it's 24 7 more and more people are reaching out it allows for that additional level of anonymity it allows for more flexibility that a potential victim might need when they are reaching out for help and we have seen that it is a preferred method for survivors of trafficking to reach out for assistance over any of the other modes of communication that people can reach out using that's not that surprising um, when I think about um, how much I really don't I don't talk on the phone as much <laughs> as I do as I do text you know it's just it's a, right. it's a cultural shift it's a shift in our society um, let's talk let, let I just shift to just talking more about just what and I know this is a very broad question because each type of, of, of victim that is sex trafficked, you know, whether it's an illicit massage business or whether they're working at truck stops or whatnot, um, it's different in every scenario. But generally speaking, like what you know, what a typical day looks like for someone who is forced into slavery, you know, the the International Labor, Labor Organization estimates there are about 4.8 million people trapped in some form of forced sexual exploitation globally. Of course, not just in the U.S. Uh, but what, what are some of these working conditions and working hours like? Are they? I assume it's not a nine to five job, and not to make light of it at all, but I'm assuming this is a job with erratic hours and uh, very little rest for the individual. And again, I'm assuming it does depend on the type of work they're doing, but do you have an overall sense of that? Yeah, so both sex and labor trafficking can happen in a wide range of environments, right? Such as illicit massage businesses or cantinas. Um, For example, there are illicit illicit massage businesses that are fronts for commercial sex operations. Um, They are a facade of a legitimate spa service. Uh, However, they're concealing that their primary business is the sex and labor trafficking of women trapped in these businesses. And they might have to work long hours. Uh, They might have to work seven days a week without provision of any required benefits or employee protections. They're made to believe that these types of hours and these working conditions are normal in the United States, and they might have been promised X, Y, Z. If they, if it is someone coming from another country or even within the United States, the fraud in what they are promised in certain types of different industries within trafficking is really um, it's it's exorbitant. So they might be promised $20 an hour, eight hours a day with vacation, and then come to arrive and are working in a situation where they're working 16 hours a day. They're living on premises. They have little access to water or food. Um, Their money is being withheld due to a, a debt that they might owe their potential trafficker. Individuals might not be able to be in possession of their documents. So whether it's a passport or their uh, driver's license or any type of ID, they might not have access to that. It might have been confiscated. Uh, And so their ability to leave is very difficult. Traffickers oftentimes will also isolate their victims, So while trafficking, Does not require the movement of their victims. Traffickers will often move them around to keep them isolated from friends, from family, uh, from access to resources. And so that is a another key component that you will see with potential victims uh, within any type of trafficking. Well, and I think you know, in addition to these abhorrent working conditions, right—the type of work they're having to do, as well as the hours and the pay. Um, there's clearly no workers rights here and there's not right. any type of uh, any protections for them and the other thing and and, and I'm wondering if, if you could speak to this is that they're also not on a whole being allowed to choose their clients so to speak right like they're just you know a client is served up to them and that is what their job is and it's, it's not a they don't get choice in what they're doing no instead it's more they might have a quota that you know, potential sex trafficking victims might say, they might have to make $1,000 a night, and they might be brought to uh, potential buyers, and they have to uh, engage with them, or they might be left to their own will to find that money. Uh, and whether they are having to have sex with multiple individuals, or they're having to try to, if they don't meet their quota, find another way to make up that deficit and so that they don't endure any type of repercussion if they were to come home and haven't met their quota. So quotas are another thing that you'll often see within sex trafficking. And that is why the work you do is, I cannot stress how important it is. Uh, your organization is really a leader in this global fight to eradicate modern slavery, sex trafficking, and, and, and the, you know, the 25, 24 different typology, other typologies. Let's, let's really turn to what Polaris does. And one thing I've been curious about, um, can you explain the name of your organization? How did you come to be called Polaris? Sure. So our founders identified Polaris uh, as the name. They named it after the North Star that guided people living in slavery to freedom in the U.S. We systematically disrupt the human trafficking networks that rob human beings of their ability to make their choices. But they felt that this, this North Star that guided slaves to freedom was very representative of the work and the, uh, the innovative way that, we, that they wanted to initially fight human trafficking. And that has been instilled uh, within our organization And that it isn't just our organization doing this. It is a much bigger collective fight. We can't do it ourselves. We need organizations on the ground. We need politicians fighting for different laws. We need service providers. We need law enforcement. We need coalitions and task forces to be able to all compile their resources to fight this horrific, horrific crime. Because again, it's much bigger than just us. And that's really the premise of your uh your your organization's model or i mean i I would call it a, a business model but your your business plan really is about bringing together all of these stakeholders to help fight this to help fight this um this crime basically is can you talk a little bit more about your model sure so again while we're not a business we kind of put our customers into two categories let's say first we have the victims and survivors who are in immediate need of assistance so those individuals are going to contact the national human trafficking hotline where we can connect them with different resources whether it be a connection as i mentioned earlier shelter crisis management or to law enforcement we take a very victim-centered approach i do want to highlight this so we aren't ever dictating whether or not or what a, an individual, a potential victim, should do. Uh, we are not saying, you should go to shelter, you should contact law, enfo- law enforcement. We want them to be able to determine and tell us what they need. It might take potential victims a couple times before they decide they either want to leave their situation or want to get connected to a service provider or want to law- make a report to law enforcement. We are not ever telling an individual what they should do. However, if minors, mentioned earlier, uh, are in a trafficking situation or uh, an abusive or neglective situation, we will have to report that to the appropriate authorities. And adults, if adults are in a situation where they are at risk of harm to themselves or others, we also will report to law enforcement. But otherwise, we really want them to have that, uh, that ability to make their decision themselves and giving some of that control back to them. Because much of the control has been stripped from them in their trafficking situations. And then our second set of customers are really those victims who might be in their trafficking situations now and aren't ready to get out, um, or victims who have not been recruited yet and maybe aren't even born yet. And so looking at ways that we can dis- disrupt this at a systems level, um, and that's working with different legislators working with different governments and other business entities to make sure that they have the tools that they need to advocate for legislation on behalf of victims and survivors, or advocate for changes in business models, advocate for changes within um, labor rights or um, any type of victim rights so it's really important that we are doing that type of advocacy again in conjunction with others but so we really have the two types of victims those are in, who are in need right now and then those who we are fighting for in the future sure and and we you, we've been talking about the national human trafficking hotline but um, just like to go into that a little a little deeper um, how many cases uh, of all the cases that you handle are they throughout the entire United States and all, you know, all, all 50 states, the District of Columbia? Can you talk about your reach? Sure thing. So we serve all 50 states, all of the territories in the United States. Uh, and last year, actually, we responded to 11,000 cases uh, in total. And that was a significantly higher, about 25% higher than in 2017 alone and we actually wow. were able to serve 35% more potential victims of trafficking last year. So the word is getting out there that this resource is available. Um and of those 11,000 cases last year again as I mentioned earlier, tra- sex trafficking is much higher higher reported to the national hotline and it was reported at nearly 8,000 just below that of the 11,000 cases. But again the national human trafficking hotline we are serving individuals across the country in all of the territories, um, adults, minors, US citizens, foreign nationals. We are able to take calls in over 200 languages using a tele service. We also have Spanish and English hotline advocates on staff who are taking signals live. Uh, and in terms of the interpretation, we're able to immediately transfer in a an interpreter to help with those cases lastly there are five modes of communication that people can use to contact the hotline so first and foremost we have the phone that is our largest mode of communication at this point but then we also have text and chat which i mentioned added in we added in 2018 and we also have email and online web forms or online tip forms where people can report tips where they might have noticed a situation of potential trafficking and they want to report we also have incredible resources and statistics on our website so if individuals are looking for resources about trafficking information about trafficking looking for statistics about trafficking in their state that they might want to use to advocate for legislation advocate for additional funding to fight Uh, trafficking in their state, they can find that all on the National Human Trafficking Hotline website. And those just sound like incredible resources, um, and getting the word and spreading that word out is so incredibly important. Um, If if you could give any recommendations um, on how to, based on all of your training and experience and your work in this area, really on how to curb sex trafficking in the United States, you talked about lobbying for laws and speaking with politicians but what would you say are maybe two or three uh things that could really help change the game here yeah so i think we need to be creative uh we need to use this the typology report um, that we created that has the different victim profiles trafficker profiles business profiles to really look at a systems approach of how we can locally fight that form of trafficking and disrupt different networks. So, you know, thinking of illicit massage businesses, it's not very effective to close down one illicit massage business because the operators are likely going to go around the corner and open up another one. And so how do we look at this an entire network, but then pulling in the different business businesses as well where that are intersecting with trafficking. So a follow-up report that we made to the 25 types of modern day slavery is the intersections report and that looks at the different industries that are intersecting with the different types and how those different industries whether it be transportation or uh, hotels or financial systems how they can get in this fight together and join in with their resources but also then educate their employees on what they need to be looking for to help disrupt trafficking secondly i think is really important you know i mentioned before sometimes when sex trafficking victims have a quota and they aren't able to reach that quota in a night. They might have to find other ways to meet that quota. So that might be robbery. Um, it might be a breaking and entering to be able to get resources that they might not have been able to get otherwise. And a vacature law we are advocating for across the country um, in every state. And a vacature laws is to overturn any type of or I guess, get rid of any type of charge or conviction for crimes that were endured during a trafficking situation. And so if a potential victim was arrested on prostitution, was arrested on weapons charges, or drugs charges, or some type of identity theft, being able to get rid of those crimes so that a potential victim can really truly start their lives over is critical for the recovery of victims of trafficking because as you can imagine if you have those types of um, arrests on your record it's going to be very difficult to get a job to get stable housing to open a bank account and so if we have this type of protection for potential victims we're going to help them restore their freedom faster and then lastly I think it's really important that we continue to work with the law enforcement community and ensuring that the training they get is survivor-centered and survivor-informed and so that they know what it's like when they come upon a potential victim of trafficking. We want to make sure that they have those tools to do the investigations to catch the actual traffickers, so looking at the owners of the brothels or massage parlors. Currently it's nearly impossible because the owners don't have to disclose on their official paperwork. Um, we're actually working with a large coalition of anti-corruption groups to try to have the Senate follow the House, uh, which actually last month passed legislation that would require business owners to disclose their names in certain circumstances so law enforcement can connect the dots and shut down trafficking rings a lot more efficiently. So and then lastly, I'll just mention one more thing. You know what? funding, 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 funding always a lack of funding while it's such a a high reward for the traffickers they're making tons of money there's not enough money for the resources that are needed for these potential victims there's always money needed for shelters um, especially transitional housing um, also for job training and placement for victims after they are out of their situation So that's kind of four things that I would highlight that uh, we can try to do to not only curb trafficking, but also assist potential victims and survivors uh, once they are out of their situation or helping them get out of their situation. And it's such, it's such a complex problem, um, one that is not insurmountable, um, one that just takes um, a lot of individuals coming together for this common purpose of stopping this um, atrocity really um, throughout the world and, and here in the United States. Uh, Carolyn DeMar, thank you so much, um, Director of the National Human Trafficking Hotline at Polaris. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all the good work you do and for continuing to fight this, this very, very good fight. Um, if listeners want to know more about human slavery and really about what resources are out there, you can access those resources on the podcast page. And um, specifically, you can also visit polarisproject.org or the humantraffickinghotline.org, and those resources will be available um, in our podca- on our podcast page as well. Thank you all for joining us today, and thank you to ACSCS for allowing us to present this information. And, Brian, I will turn it back over to you.
0: Thanks very much, Gina, and I'd like to echo your thanks to the Players Project for everything that they're doing, and thank Carolyn for being on this episode. And I'd also like to extend a thanks to Gina for being our gracious host for another podcast on this series on modern slavery. As mentioned, this is the second part of a three-part series, and I'd urge you to check out the webinar and the other podcasts that Gina referenced. Finally, thanks to our audience and our community out there for listening and taking the time to equip yourselves with information and tools to take on this fight against human slavery. Thanks for joining us.